This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brim. Today, we start the second season of Flux, a Fresh Ed series where graduate students turn their research interests into narrative-based podcasts. To kick things off, Yanan Yu tells a story that raises some interesting questions about how ability should be defined. Is it enough that she has a level 10 certification in piano and a master's degree and now works at the BBC? Or does she need something else to be considered able? defined by others. Being defined by others' assumptions about what I can and can't do. Assumptions have always been made about my abilities and my limitations. Is this why we educated ourselves? Why I have educated myself? To build up abilities that matter? To build up abilities that matter to others? Who decides who has ability and who doesn't? Who decides which abilities matter more than others? Do we define others based on our own abilities or experiences or on our limited knowledge of other people? Everyone lives with all kinds of limitations. So, why are some, such as mine, seen as more limiting than others? here playing on a Yamaha upright piano in my grandmother's bedroom on the third floor of an old-fashioned apartment building in my hometown, Huaihua. Only four million people live there. It's a small, beautiful city in the south of China in Hunan province, famous for its oranges. The modern piano is out of place in her later room, which is crowded with old Chinese furniture, a black wooden canopy bed, a bedroom wardrobe, a black table, and a wooden sofa. If you listen carefully, then you can hear the passing traffic, the honking horns, of the countless motor scooters that clock in from road with pollution and noise. My home at the time was just down the road. I recorded this ballet by Debussy on an unremarkable summer afternoon. My name is Yanan Yu. I have been playing the piano for over 17 years. 
The piano has been my faithful companion since I was eight years old. I learned to play because my mother wanted me to have a friend who would accompany me in any circumstances throughout my life. I now live in London. Unfortunately, there is no piano in my makeshift home, and it sometimes feels like I lost an important part of my life. Say it, salted. <laughs> oh, my train is coming. To get a high quality education in China, in the very best schools. I had to move to strange, faraway cities, time and time again. So, I'm used to catching trains. By commuting alone from a very young age, I learned to familiarize myself with new environments in a short amount of time. I also learned to deal with various troubles on my own and hide my sense of unease. When I was seven years old, I started primary school in the capital of my province, Changsha. It usually took me around seven hours to get to school. My parents would accompany me on my journey in the first few years. But when I was twelve, they asked me to go on a trip alone for my family, which was not wealthy at the time. Me traveling by myself meant that they could save three hundred yuan, about thirty-five pounds or fifty U.S. dollars. At sixteen, I went to a well-known senior high school in Chongqing, a big municipality in China. It took me around nine hours to get there. This seems like a long trip compared to the trip I'm currently taking from where I live in London to Saint Pancras Station, which only takes me 15 minutes. But getting to my senior high school felt like a short trip compared to my journey to my university at 44 hours. That's almost two days of continuous travel, all alone, when I was still relatively young. It was a challenging adventure. I'd prepared two days' worth of food. When I got on the train, I'd first familiarize myself with the surrounding facilities. Then, I dozed or listened to music. At some point, I'd get off the first train, find the right platform for the next train, and eventually, exhaustedly, I'd reach my destination. 
Those long journeys are the greatest gift that my family has given me. My grandfather Xin Le Yu was born in 1933 and went to university in the 1950s, majoring in hydraulic engineering. At that time, undergraduate students were a rarity in Mao Zedong's New People's Republic of China. My grandfather firmly believed that a high-quality education is essential for everyone. All my family are influenced by his thought. They believe that education is very important, that it is the only way to go out into the world, to be stronger and to make a better living. Because my family believed this, they tried their utmost to provide me with the best quality education possible from primary school to my postgraduate studies. I arrived at Case Cross and Pancras Underground Station. Now I'm going to play the piano. At university, I studied music performance, specializing in piano performance. I mastered solfeggio, sometimes called sightseeing. It's the ability to read music by sight or by hearing and accurately sing. I learned music theory and music concepts. After all this study, I earned my level 10 piano certification. The job I got after my graduation had nothing to do with music. I started as an intern. I earned 50 yuan per day, which is about 6 pounds or just over 8 US dollars. This was far from enough to cover my daily expenses in Beijing. But I still tried my best to absorb the new things. I was learning and to complete all my assignments diligently. After two weeks, my boss suggested I take some exams because I did so well. Then, I luckily got offered a full-time job.
everything seemed became different from what I expected, as I had a co-worker who didn't like me. I didn't know what was so wrong with me that she kept targeting me. When she said hurtful words to me or showed me her cold face, I felt utterly helpless. And when my colleagues witnessed what was happening, they preferred to stay silent. I started to have a vague feeling that I might not be suitable for this role in this industry, and it filled me with despair. That year, I felt I had mental health problems. But I never tried to seek help from professionals. You've got such a decent job; many people envy you. You shouldn't complain. I felt ashamed because when I talked to my peers, they repeatedly replied in this way. During work time, I emptied myself of all emotion and worked like a machine. It takes all my effort to forget the details of what happened to me in that year. It's like a recurring nightmare. That's the main reason why I finally quit my job and left the city. My parents tried to persuade me to keep going and to be tolerant, but I said. If I keep working in this industry, I will end up being very depressed. Still, when talking about our jobs, some of my well-educated friends were keen on reminding me how wonderful our lives were, saying things like, "I think we are excellent and lucky. We are outstanding from the whole group." And we are quite different from those who are less educated and trapped in sedentary jobs or at home. And it's true, I supposed. That was a very, very good job for someone like me, and only a lucky few would have been offered it. In contrast to me and some of my well-educated friends, the majority who are less educated were usually tied to a certain kind of job. Most of them usually start work late in the morning or at noon. They continue working on their feet until 12 or 1 a.m. Working in massage shop in China is high-intensity labor, with short rest times and a few holidays. They treat performance at the top priority. They only look at performance. Yi Shuang worked in the healthcare massage industry for several years, but finally chose to leave. Actually, I don't have high requirements for my occupation. I wish to have a normal commuting time, to not stay up late, and must my own time after work, enjoying my own space and my own life. 
Not many people know that massage practitioners often struggle with tendonitis, frozen shoulder, spine-related, and cardiopulmonary diseases. These are some of the occupational hazards for practitioners who provide massage in China. Female and male, they may also face abuse and sexual harassment when they are working. As they are paying for a service, customers think they can touch their massage practitioner in any way they want to. For my master's research, I talked to several massage practitioners in China about the kinds of conditions they worked in. One young woman told me that when she told her boss that she was being sexually harassed by a middle-aged customer, her boss simply said, "It's just a touch." It doesn't hurt you, so bear it. Are you thinking about how hard their lives must be, on top of having a job that relies heavily on manual work, of having long and irregular hours, of sometimes not being respected in the job that they do? The massage practitioners I talk to are also visually impaired. But it's not the blindness that makes their lives harder. It's the assumptions that are made about them being visually impaired that limits their lives, especially in a vision-centric world where vision and cognition are intertwined. In this world, it's generally thought that people with blindness are less able than sighted people to acquire knowledge. That people with blindness should have less opportunities and more restrictions. Often, our visual impairment is seen as a deficit that affects all our abilities as well as our productivity and efficiency. Ironically, our parents and family members may also think this. My name is Yana Yu. I was born and raised in a small, beautiful city called Huaihua. I have been playing the piano for over 17 years, and I am a girl with blindness. People like me with severe visual impairments tend to experience more prejudice and are less likely to be employed in the general workforce. Than people without a disability, and even people with other forms of disability. Zhu Yuwang ran a respected NGO with two other visually impaired people in China that advocated for visually impaired people. He told me about a common dynamic, which I am familiar with, between sighted people and the visually impaired people. When he sympathizes with you, he will actually have a sense of superiority, or he will feel moved by his own sympathy. 
There are more than 17 million visually impaired people in China, and massage is the most practical job for many of those with a severe visual impairment. As healthcare massage in China is typically undertaken by people with blindness, there's an overemphasis on the connection between blindness and the massage. Resulting in a stereotype that assumes visually impaired people have more sensitivity to touch and better concentration, which may not always be the case. If you are visually impaired, then there are many ways of feeling your way through the world. Some visually impaired people also internalize these assumptions and have a distorted sense that massage. Is their destiny that it is the only work that they are equipped to do? Massage business in China usually provided their employees with meals and accommodation, so there is no need for them to travel to work. This can lead some individuals with blindness to also have a distorted sense of job satisfaction. And a fear of leaving their comfort zone to pursue other opportunities, as they think this might create too much potential uncertainty in their lives. Those who have received tertiary education are more likely to leave the massage industry. While those who have successfully started non-massage careers are regarded as, or may regard themselves as, elites, they tend to think that they are superior to those who worked as massage practitioners, and they sometimes belittle the massage profession. But their success is exceptional. It can't be easily obtained by their peers, especially given the existing bias about blindness. Here's Zhe Yu again. In fact, this goes back to the individual mode of disability. All successes and failures are attributed to the individual. Look, this person is a role model. All disabled people must learn from them. Society has already provided you with much better conditions than before. Apart from this role model, why can't the rest of you achieve things like this person? So this is your personal problem. Not a social problem. Of course, there is nothing wrong with massage. Most visual impaired people in China do not have access to higher education, and massage is an effective, reliable way for them to fit themselves. But it also creates a division between us and them. I am one of around 200 severely vision impaired people in China per year that have access to university. Even though I'm seemingly lucky, that doesn't mean that it isn't hard to. Many of us are excluded from most occupations, even with a bachelor's or master's degree. 
and even if we are perfectly capable of undertaking this roles, we also often face various forms of stereotyping and discrimination from our employers. And in many cases, our equal employment rights are violated. Hierarchy of disabilities exists where disabled people are divided according to our impairments. These classification methods are drawn from a medical perspective to recognize how serious our impairment is and support us. But that doesn't mean I don't despise it. I absolutely hate this categorization. I am always defined by my disability. I am called disabled due to attitudinal barriers, which turn into actual barrier and systemic exclusions, which are based on prejudice. I am seen first and foremost as an impaired, abnormal person. Viewing me in this way diminishes the fact that I am an independent and dignified person. Why do we always focus on people's impairments? Why are so many assumptions made about vision impaired people? Why don't we shift our attention to people's, people like me, abilities? My name is Yanan Yu. I am a girl with blindness, and I am an independent and dignified person. When I go to new places, I force myself to remember the route by drawing a simple map in my mind, from beginning to end. Smell, sound, large buildings, and even the length of every street. All my signposts. By memorizing these details, I can travel between locations independently. I was once abandoned by my classmates on a busy street. I was left alone, panicking and helpless. Because of that experience, I now force myself to remember. It's the key to my safety when I take that route again. And when I do, I can see where I need to go inside my head. Since I was a child, my interior visions have helped me to navigate my own way in the world. Not surprisingly, I suppose this is a world that looks very different to me. And I am in Saint Pancras International Railway Station. Very bright here. I can smell coffee, bread, sandwich. Taking escalator again. Maybe going to second floor or first floor. I'm not sure. Why? 
there's a lot of people here. The cats are trying to power us. Let's go to the towers. Let's go, let's go. Shut the front door. Hmm. Uh. Fragrance. I don't just use smells to make my own way in this world. For me, collecting fragrances is also one of my hobbies. I'm in London in my bedroom and I'm appreciating my perfume collection. It's a small collection compared with the collection in my bedroom in China. This is my favorite outward perfume. Its name is Nanada Wood. Every childhood summer, my grandma used to weave jasmine into a wreath to wear on my head. Wearing that wreath and the sweet summer smell of that flower made me feel beautiful. My grandma's love for me had a smell. It smelled like jasmine. For me, smell is the key that opens the door to my memories. It's more reliable and meaningful than visual photographs. Smells are my aromatic photographs. They conjure places in my mind's eye. They take me through time and space to relive all the details of a single moment. The smell, the temperature, the sounds, and my mood. People always make assumptions about our ability. They find us according to our impairments or limitations. But when you don't know us, please don't assume that we are not able. People always make assumptions about my abilities. They find me according to my impairments or limitations. But when you don't know me, please don't assume that I am not able. For my life is a melody that continues to play. Today's episode was created, written, produced, and edited by Yanan Yu. She even played all of the piano pieces you heard. Johanna Fay was the executive producer, and Brett Lashua and Will Bram were the producers. Flux theme music was by Joseph Monadio of Pattern-Based Music. Full credits of today's episode can be found in the show notes. 
A transcript of today's episode with a selection of resources for further exploration can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you like what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Fanti Aktas, Obafemi Ungunri, Dion Jiang, Annabella Afroboteng, Anya Lin, Phyllis J. Mensa, and Jose Neto. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements, and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, the UCL Institute of Education, NORAG, the Shakdev Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshheadpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.